Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Bismillah alhamdulillah wa salatu wa salamu ala rasulillah wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa man wala. Welcome to Juz 3 of Quran 30 for 30, also known as Tafsira by Shaykh Abdullah Adur alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah rabbil alameen, I pray that Allah Azzawajal is allowing you to reap the benefits of Ramadan, that you're enjoying your first moments of fasting, bidnillahi ta'ala and that you are enjoying uh, what this month offers to us. I pray that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make it a month of Qur'an, a month of forgiveness, a month of mercy for all of you. Allahumma ameen. Just a reminder before we get into it, inshallah ta'ala, you can download the ebook, which is in the comments, also on our Ramadan landing page, uh, the Qur'an 30 for 30 companion guide, which talks about the overview of the structure of the juz in, uh, in about two pages uh, per juz. And you can use that, inshallah ta'ala, to guide you through this, as well as the Dua A Day booklet by Dr. Tahir Wyatt. Please do, inshallah ta'ala, download that and engage with that booklet as well, inshallah ta'ala, throughout the month of Ramadan. And of course, we ask you to consider supporting Yaqeen, alhamdulillah, alameen. The more that you support us, the more that we're able to continue to produce free resources. So please do con consider uh, donating to Yaqeen, inshallah ta'ala, this Ramadan and inviting your friends and family to do so as well. With that being said, alhamdulillah, I want to welcome Sister Najwa, alhamdulillah, uh, to our program. Uh, Sister Najwa is someone that, uh, subhanAllah, people always ask about and look forward to. And I was just sharing that with her, in fact, you know, uh, with her insights, mashallah. And um, welcome to welcome to Quran 30 for 30, Sister Najwa. Jazakumullah for having me. Always love to, to be here and, and converse with you guys about such wonderful things, mashallah. Allah, ibarakrik. And Jazakumullah khair, Sheikh Abdullah, for being with us. As always, every night, alhamdulillah, may Allah subhanahu wa protect you and bless you. Allahumma ameen. So I got my timer going, inshallah. Uh, so uh, Surah Ali Imran is uh, a very hard surah to, to hone in on one incident from the seerah and to give an overview from the perspective of the life of the Prophet because it ties in together so many uh, historical episodes. Uh, SubhanAllah, just as we said, Juz 1, of Surah Al-Baqarah uh, really parallels with the first year after Hijrah. Juz 2 of Surah Al-Baqarah parallels the second year after Hijrah, the second year in Medina. Juz 3, which is primarily Surah Ali Imran, includes the end of Surah Al-Baqarah and then goes into Ali Imran, is pretty much the third year after Hijrah. So it's actually moving in a very smooth, uh, smooth fashion here, a smooth structure here. And you can see, SubhanAllah, you know, sometimes there's a question as to the tartib of the Qur'an and uh, the, the order and the structure. And indeed, you know, subhanAllah, it is, it is divinely structured and beautifully structured in a way that you're looking at one, two, three of the first three years of the building of the Muslim community, the construction of the Muslim community uh, in Al-Madina. So in this year, you have a lot of things that are going to be covered. You have uh, dele the delegation of Najran that's going to be spoken about. You have... Um, you know, uh, certain incidents and encounters with the hypocrites, certain incidents and encounters with the Jewish tribes in Medina. You have the aftermath of Badr, because remember, Badr was in, uh, in in the second year after Hijrah in Ramadan. And so you have the aftermath of Badr, right? You have to, you know, uh, you, you have to see the way that the community develops and maintains its humility and connects the unlikely victory that it, it attained to the help of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So you have the aftermath of Badr and sort of picking up after Badr and anticipating what is to come next. And then you have the battle of Uhud. Now, 
I want to focus on that inshallah ta'ala uh, for a bit and then I'll get to the other things. This is of course the surah that addresses the people of the book the most out of the Quran. It covers Isa alayhi salam, the story of Jesus peace be upon him in immense detail, in more detail than Surah Maryam. Uh, and that is because of the interactions of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam specifically with the people of the book in Medina in this context. But I want to start with Uhud because it, it really, subhanAllah, has a practical benefit to building off of the high after Badr. Uhud occurred, according to most of the scholars, in Shawwal of the third year after Hijrah. So, subhanAllah, the, the first Ramadan had Badr. The first Ramadan the Muslims fasted had Badr. The second Ramadan the Muslims fasted was immediately followed by Uhud. Because remember, the first Ramadan was second year after Hijrah. Therefore, the second Ramadan was the third year after Hijrah. And right after Ramadan, the uh, the, the pagans in Mecca gather and they gather a mighty, a mighty army uh, to uh, to take out revenge, to extract revenge on the Muslims for their defeat at Badr, even though, subhanAllah, they were the persecutors, but now they come with a much larger army. They're being led by Khalid ibn al-Walid, Amr ibn al-As, Ikrama ibn Abi Jahl, uh, some of the younger commanders amongst them because the elders had died in, in Badr. They are far more equipped this time. They have more horses, more camels, more weapons. They have a strategic plan to surround Medina, uh, to attack the Prophet wasallam. And so this is, uh, you know, a, a very interesting dynamic. And they always outnumber the Muslims. SubhanAllah, in every battle, they outnumber the Muslims in Badr and in Uhud. And so I want us to go to verses 121 to 123 in Surah Ali Imran, where Allah says, And remember when you, O Muhammad left your family in the morning to post the believers at their stations for the battle of Uhud, and Allah is all hearing and Allah is all knowing. This speaks to literally, subhanAllah, how much is packaged within these few words. The Prophet would leave for battle in the early morning hours. And some of the scholars say that's because the Prophet never entered battle except after his Qiyamul Layl, subhanAllah. So after the night of invoking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and praying to Allah and invoking his help and his support and his blessings, they make their way out to the battlefield of Uhud. And Allah is all hearing and Allah is all knowing. What is this referring to? The hearts. And this is why this uh, this builds so well off of what we have just covered in regards to Badr. Allah says, when two parties amongst you met, When two parties among you were about to lose courage, were about to lose their thrust, and then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala was their ally. This is lost upon most people reading the Quran. Why? Because the incident prior to Uhud, is usually not spoken about, but it is so central to this ayah. Before Uhud, the Prophet sets out with a thousand people. Three hundred of those one thousand were of those one thousand were amongst the hypocrites, and so to demoralize the Prophet they turned away from the army of a thousand, making it seven hundred, and they did so on the basis of supposedly the Prophet not taking their advice and fighting inside of Medina but rather fighting outside of Medina at Uhud. But of course, they were planning to abandon the Prophet no matter what. So they turn away from the Prophet right before the battle starts, 300 of them, and they are the most equipped of the Muslim army. And you can imagine the vulnerability then of the 700. 
Now, subhanAllah, some of those people, and particularly the two tribes that are being spoken about according to narration from Jabir radiallahu ta'ala anhu, Banu Haritha and Banu Salama, they, you know, there was a moment there, right? Like, okay, we're going to be massacred here because we were already outnumbered when facing them in Mecca. Now we're even more outnumbered. So we're going to be massacred here. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, but Allah was their wali. And subhanahu wa ta'ala, you know, we would not be pleased if it was not revealed because Allah said Allah was their ally. You know, like this could be, uh, you know, a, a way of those two tribes feeling singled out. But instead, they're honored because Allah says that he was their wali. And so they maintained their positioning with the Prophet sallallahu And upon Allah, let the believers place their trust. And remember when Allah supported you when and gave you victory in Badr when you were just a few in number. So fear Allah, be mindful of Allah so that perhaps you will be from the grateful. SubhanAllah, in Ramadan, fasting is for taqwa. The end of Ramadan is for shukr, is for gratitude, is to arrive at the station of shukr. And here Allah says, have taqwa so that you may arrive at the station of shukr, which is exactly this practice that we are in right now in Ramadan. Why is this so important, subhanAllah? Because you find that those 700 that fought the 3,000 that came from Mecca, we know the story of the Prophet وسلم, appointing 50 archers under Abdullah ibn Jubair anhu, and telling them not to come down from their station. Now what happens in Uhud? After the Muslims win the battle, right? After the Muslims win the battle, 40 of those 50 come down because they think the battle is over. So they disobeyed the Prophet وسلم, and they left 10 on the mountain over there. And when that happened, we know that Khalid took the radiallahu ta'ala anhu took the army around the, the other side and he was able to ambush the Muslims. At that point, at that point, many of the Muslims fled. Okay. Now some of them fled because they thought the Prophet already was killed, right? Because that was one of the tricks that was played was that the Prophet, they said that Qatalna Muhammad. Some of them fled because at that point we lost the battle. You're just running for your life. Some of them, a few of them, gathered around the Prophet and died fighting alongside the Prophet, covering him والسلام, and you know, lived on with their stories of being heroes on that day. Now, why do I think this is so important from a spiritual perspective? And subhanAllah, honestly, it's my first time reflecting on it this way. Allah does not censure the, the, the ones that fled Uhud the way he talks about the hypocrites. Right, when you'll see when we get into some of these suwar, these chapters, the hypocrites are spoken to harshly. But these people that fled on Uhud were not from the hypocrites. The hypocrites were already distilled because the hypocrites go out with bad intention, right? And they were already sorted out from this army. But there was a group of people, and of course they are on a spectrum, that fled at different points. And that was a moment of weakness, but they were still sincere believers. So when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala talks to them, Allah invites them to forgiveness. Allah tells the Prophet to forgive them. And we do not look at them with scorn, right? Those people lived on to fight battles alongside the Prophet Now, why do I think that's a powerful connection, inshallah ta'ala? Then I'll hand it off, inshallah. Because if you think about Al-Baqarah, Al-Baqarah gave us these categories of people, right? And we were to see ourselves in these categories where we fall and seek to be amongst the best of the best. 
And it's important for us to now see how these categories are playing out because Ali Imran talks about the hypocrites. It talks about those that were not hypocrites that were believers, but they fell for a moment, right? They had a point of weakness and Allah invited them to Tawbah right away and they sought their re repentance and they came back to the Prophet ﷺ. When you're talking about the people of the book, Allah talks about the people of the book that sought to conceal the signs when they saw the Prophet ﷺ and recognized him. And then Allah talks about the people of the book that heard the Qur'an and, and wept in recognition of the truth. So subhanAllah, you're seeing it play out here. And it's important for us to recognize that, especially as we start to get into, again, some of the future uh, categorizations of people in these suwar that are coming up. So Allah forgave those people that fled Uhud and Allah reminded them when Allah supported them in Badr that it was never about your number, but you have to obey the Prophet and victory comes from obeying Allah and the Messenger and as for the hypocrites, they're their own separate category. The last thing I'll say in this regard, but, uh, a group of Christians came from Najran uh, to, to debate the Prophet to ask about the Prophet and this is one of the historical moments in Islamic history that you can read about. And a lot of the discussion here of Isa of Jesus, peace be upon him, clarifying who he was, actually came in response to uh, those Christians that were asking questions to the Prophet about Isa But inshallah ta'ala, uh, you can look up the, the famous incident of uh, Najran, uh, the Arabs that came from Najran, the Arab Christians that came from Najran. And bidnillahi ta'ala, I will stop there inshallah and hand it off to uh, Sheikh Abdullah, Sister Najwa, if they want to share anything inshallah, and then we can get to their parts. Such beautiful reflections on the mercy of Allah and how we can even take that into Ramadan that, you know, sometimes with Ramadan, whether it's small sins or even bigger sins, how um, subhanAllah with the believers, Allah is so merciful and then that ability to come back to him no matter what, whether it's like you didn't read and we're still in the beginning of Ramadan, but whether you didn't read enough Quran for that day or even if it's something much bigger. To know that you know there's no greater handhold than the one that you have with Allah, and that you can always return to Him uh, and seek that forgiveness, um, is is something that's just so heartwarming, and it's such a good, powerful reminder. Yeah, mashallah. I mean, and you know, just just you know, hearing these these reports and these incidents that took place, it's always you know when, look, when we look at belief in regards to the dunya. It's very important that we rely on that which is intangible, you know, relying on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and not just looking at the numbers and letting those numbers or what we see in front of us be the ultimate repository of guidance, or that is where we determine truth and falsehood, because you'll be tested with these things and that can ultimately divert your heart, which is a good segue to what I want to talk about. Alhamdulillah, uh, mashallah, it's like we're getting good segues into uh, the portion of good tag team, mashallah, subhanahu that is the heart. And we, we spoke about the heart, uh, you know, the first the first sit down, the first session in regards to the heart being diverted or diverting to something else other than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the message of Islam. So when we look at this in the chapter of Al-Imran, the verse, the third verse in the Quran, where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala or the, the, the eighth verse in the Quran, excuse me, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is mentioning a dua that we should say in times of confusion or in times of wanting guidance up uh, along with all of the other verses in the quran but this is an important verse why because the the verse before that speaks about 
the book being the Quran, that in this Quran are verses that are very clear and others are mutashabihat. They are ambiguous. And for the ones that have this diversion or have this form of following other than the truth, they follow what their desires may have. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is mentioning here that those may follow the ambiguous verses and they attempt to make trouble by to pin down specific meanings on their own. To pin down these specific meanings of the Quran that they may not really know, but based on some desire that they may have outside of following the methodology of how to understand the ambiguous verses, they follow and they also want to, as he mentions, they want to create some specific meaning of their own because they create their own understanding of the verse. And it's very important for all of us because, you know, there's times when a verse may come to us and it may be something that we didn't anticipate, didn't expect, didn't even want. And that's where the final frontier comes in. Are we going to you know, run from that verse or are we going to try to understand it? Or if we know and have the understanding to fight our desires to where we follow that which we know is true and which is ultimate guidance. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions that no one knows the true meaning except Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and those ar-rasikhuna fil-ilm and those that are well grounded in knowledge. And that is what is so beautiful about Islam is that it is a religion of spirituality, but it does not neglect the aspect of knowledge. It does not neglect the importance of seeking knowledge in order to have the bukt or the spirituality on the right course in the right uh, the right way. As the Prophet would say, Oh, the one who flips the hearts, make my heart firm on your religion. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala comes after that. After mentioning the reality that there may be people that may give an understanding to ambiguous verses in the Quran based on their desires or wanting fitna, wanting fitna for the community. He says after that, a dua that we should all say, our Lord, Rabbana, meaning Ya Allah, O oh Allah, calling on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Do not allow our hearts to deviate. And Zayr is to deviate from the Sirat al Mustaqim. It's to go off of that straight path. After you have guided us. You know, I was in the masjid last night. And subhanAllah, you know, there many of the community was, community was waiting for maybe something in the chapter of Baqarah, you know, when we give the khatira between the four rakaat. And subhanAllah, I just said, say alhamdulillah. Just say alhamdulillah, which is in al-Fatiha. Because we are here in the masjid. We weren't here last year. And now we're here as though it never took place. So when looking at this beautiful, beautiful blessings of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you say alhamdulillah rabbil alameen. And then you ask him to keep you on the straight path. Because when you do that, it increases your humility, it breeds humility, and it breeds reliance on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, knowing that you never have it all figured out. It's always Allah that gives you the ability to figure something out. But once you figure it out, what is your response to that? What is your action? How do you act? Do you feel that you have some sort of control? So here, and Huda, which is so interesting, some of the scholars said, hey, uh, he said he, he asked for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala be with a blessing that was given in the past for a blessing in the future. So you're asking Allah and you're admitting about a blessing that was given in the past by you guiding us. Do not divert our hearts after you have guided us. 
So you're mentioning a fadl, a virtue that he's given you. And you're asking him to increase you in guidance. And grant us, bestow upon us the rahmah, the mercy. That's what you're asking him for now. So seeing this technique of asking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala based on something he's done for you, while in order to ask him for something that you want. And we see this even in Al-Fatiha, which is similar to this technique. You're mentioning his gracious, what he's done for you, and then you're asking him, mustaqim. So this technique is very, very important when calling on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then after that and ending the verse, innaka anta wahhab, and we see the scholars, particularly Imam Sa'di, Abdurrahman Sa'di, rahimahullah ta'ala, he mentions consistently in his tafsir that it is important that when we see a name at the end of a verse, that we look at the context of the verse and understand the manifestation of that name. So here, innaka anta wahhab, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is abundant. He, he is the one that bestows the blessings upon you. He is the ultimate source. And where does that take place in, in this situation, in this context? Because he bestows the rahmah upon you to be guided and not to fall off by having zayl in your heart and not following those desires that you want, that we all may want, but knowing what is right and following that. So may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make us of those in this blessed month of Ramadan and the months to follow to ask him to keep our hearts firm on this faith because there will be tests, there will be signs for us to stay on this right path or signs for us that we need to make a choice. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bless us with tawfiq and thabat. Amen. Zakallah khair, Shaykh. SubhanAllah, the end of Al-Baqarah is asking Allah not to burden us. The beginning of Ali Imran is asking Allah to increase us. Um, yes, and it's, it's beautiful so that you see the, the you know, it's like Al-Baqarah ends with a dua. Ali Imran begins with the dua. Ali Imran ends with the dua. So it's it's you're seeing actually the progression of dua. And of course, Al-Fatiha is a dua. <laughs> so, um, you know, as we're trying to figure out how to make dua, you know, and like especially trying to get into our dua mode in these first few days of Ramadan, like read the duas that are coming in the first few chapters of the Quran. They're so plentiful and they're so comprehensive, subhanAllah. MashaAllah, MashaAllah. the floor is yours. Bismillah. A good segue. Um, inshallah, I'm talking about um, Ayah 35 in Surah Ali Imran. Um, and, you know, speaking of the heart and just making dua and and um, how we have a choice in terms of reacting to things that are that are unexpected. Um, in, in Ayah 35, uh, the wife of Imran, she, she um, the Quran says, remember when the wife of Imran said, my Lord, I dedicate what is in my womb entirely to your service. So accept it from me. You alone are truly the all-seeing, all-knowing. SubhanAllah, the same um, that Shukumar had just mentioned, the, the, the um, same wording. Um, and it goes on to say, when she delivered, she said, my Lord, I have given birth to a girl. And Allah fully knew what she had delivered. Not like the female, I have named her Maryam, and I seek your protection for her and her offspring from shaitan the accursed. And so here we see an example of um, the wife of Imran where she has this intention, she has this, this vision that she's pregnant with this child and she wants to dedicate it to, uh, to uh, the service of Allah. She wants it to, to, to raise it to, to be a worshiper of Allah. And, um, 
she ends up having uh, a girl, Maryam, instead. And it's not exactly what she expected, but going back to what Sheikh Abdullah said, where we have this choice. Um, and in the, in the um, psychology of acceptance, they say acceptance is really, you see two major things. One, you see mindfulness, where you see the person who is experiencing acceptance is really in the moment. They're not thinking, oh, I wish this could have been like this, or if I had done this, you know, such and such would have happened. And you don't see them in the future either. I don't know what I'm going to do. This is not what I expected. They're in the present. And then the second part is they're in the present and without judgment, meaning that they take what has happened to them and they don't necessarily attribute good or bad. They just observe it. And you see that with the wife of, Am of uh, Amran in which she she accepts it. She doesn't lament over anything. She she asked uh, Allah to protect Maryam from, from Shaitan and her offspring, which is really interesting because that, that's Isa. And um, it, it's just such a powerful reminder how sometimes, you know, we, we make dua for things, we have an intention for, for certain things, and it doesn't work out uh, as, as expected. And uh, like Sheikh Abdullah was saying, that we have, we have a choice in that moment. Um, to, to completely rely on Allah and, and say, you know, this is part of the, the hikmah, part of the wisdom of Allah. Or we can, you know, go and, and start to think about um, things that are not, not very healthy for us. And even in the ayat afterwards, it's really interesting when we're talking about like that, um, you have uh, Prophet Zakaria who, who goes on and uh, who is inspired by Maryam. Um, uh, and he, he makes uh, dua because uh, he, he wants righteous offspring. And subhanAllah, the angels give glad tidings and he, his dua is answered on the spot. And even though he's a prophet, he's, he's astonished. How, how can my wife, um, how can she, she have a child when she's barren, when she's of old age? SubhanAllah, sometimes we make dua for things and, uh, you know, and they're accepted. And it, it's, it's, he, I'm sure he had full faith in Allah, but it's it's amazing how sometimes even our own response to things is something we don't uh, don't expect. And you know, going back to the wife of Amran, when she was making that dua, when she was when she had that intention for something really good, uh, in that moment, could you imagine like that she would have? I'm, you know, Allah Adam, but she she didn't know she was going to have Maryam. She didn't know that. that after Maryam was going to come, Isa, Prophet Isa the global impact that that one dua made uh, is, is tremendous. And in that moment, uh, she, she had no idea. And so it really goes to show you that, subhanAllah, Allah answers our dua in ways that we completely don't expect. Sometimes it's... Um, it's answered right away, like we see with Prophet Zechariah. Sometimes it's not exactly what we expect, but it surpasses our expectations. And so, uh, you know, going on the, on the theme of da'at, you know, in, in Ramadan, sometimes we get discouraged, we make da'at, and it doesn't exactly um, come to fruition how we expect. Or we, we wonder, did, is my da'at accepted? Uh, did, I, did I do the right thing? Did Allah hear me? And then we go back to, you know, truly, uh, Allah is the all-hearing, the all-knowing. He does hear you. He does know. He knows what's best for you. And if he decides to withhold your da'at, Inshallah, it's going to be gifted to you on the Day of Judgment or in a way much better than you uh, expected. Like we see with, uh, with the dot of um, the wife of, of Imran. Jazakumullah khair, Sister Najwa. 
I have a question for you. Um, we struggle sometimes as imams when we are hearing these questions because what if I can't see myself in any one of these stories, right? Um, I, I don't see myself in Zakaria alayhi salam or Maryam alayhi salam or the mother of Maryam alayhi salam. Like I, I just don't see, like my dua is, it seems like complete silence. How do I deal with that, right? Like if, if, it, if it feels like my dua is not being answered at all. And it is tough because it's not like we see Allah. It's not like we see our du'a going up and 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 we see how it's going to materialize. Um, I would say in that moment, um, know that even if you can't see yourself as as any of these amazing people, that Allah answers your du'a, you, you know, the person who's not a prophet, just the way he answers the du'as of the, of the prophets. And so knowing that, Allah has that power to heal, to hear you, no matter who you are, where you are, um, and to have that that faith that it, maybe it's not coming now, but it will come. Or even if it's not coming now, Allah is going to protect you from something something much better. That the dua is not only answered for for the prophets and and these amazing people, but it's for all of us, the the sinners, uh, the nobodies, everybody. SubhanAllah, I think um, it, for me, like I just tie it back to the beginning of Al-Baqarah. How did we start this Qur'an, right? Uh, those that believe in the unseen. So we know that when we make dua to Allah, that Allah will always answer it better. And sometimes we don't know what better is at the moment. Allah will answer it better than what we are asking, right? So we don't know what better is at the moment. However, sometimes there is delay. And sometimes that delay is to the hereafter, right? When we're categorizing, sometimes the delay will say there's delay in this dunya or there's delay, you know, or there's the hereafter. Allah answers it for you in the hereafter. Since we are continuing onwards to the hereafter, it, it really is just a matter of when that delay is until. However, the dua will surely be answered, right? Warding off an evil that you're unaware of, answering it the way you're asking for it, answering it better than the way that you're asking for it. Um, you know, in ways that you could not even take into consideration or delaying it and delaying it sometimes all the way to the hereafter where if Allah gives you the reward of that dua in the hereafter, then it doesn't expire the way that things expire in this world. Uh, so I think it's it's a powerful, um, you know, that becomes an extremely personal dua, right? So just like we're seeing the categories of people in Al-Baqarah play out in real time, right, in the seerah, in different groups of people, here you're seeing the categories of duas and here are the very personal ways that that dua is coming to be through the stories of the family of Isa salam, and Maryam salam, and Zakaria and Yahya and Imran and uh, the wife of Imran and so on and so forth. So it's powerful that you then see it play out within that family how their duas were answered. No, and that's subhanAllah, it's beautiful. I, that was the point that I was going to mention is uh, subhanAllah, you know, the methodology of the dua in regards to expectations. You know, when we make the du'a, it's very important for us to check ourselves and what we what do we expect. And it, this goes back to, you know, even personal Dhan having good thoughts about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, his names and his attributes, which I highly implore uh, Muslims and even those that may not be Muslim and want to know about Islam is to look at the names and attributes of God and to study that if you have the opportunity, just to go online and look at his different names and the manifestation of those names. So particularly the names that I love are Alim and Hakim because when I make that dua, as the Prophet even mentioned, is an interesting word in Arabic that he used 
in regards to Allah answering the dua. It may be something that will be delayed all the way to the akhirah, like Sheikh Umar said. And he said, yaddakhir. And yaddakhir is literally like to store something in the freezer or you know, dry fruit, food. So when you think of that, because of his extensive, perfect knowledge, the reason why he stored it, Allah knows best. But we should ultimately know one thing, that he did it out of ultimate love for you, out of ultimate desire for your guidance, for your benefit, and only for your benefit. And see, these, these, this understanding of God is very important that we as Muslims try to learn about and inshallah inculcate within our lives on a daily basis because we're going to encounter these, all of us. You know, I made this dua and, you know, it wasn't answered in a lot. I felt sincere. I was up at the last third of the night. I was fasting. You know, I felt sincere, but it just wasn't answered. That's where, as Sister Najwa mentioned, those choices, it's going to be very important on the choices that you make. And having those feelings in the beginning, and then it's normal, it's human. But what is the response once you take a step back and look at the reality of you as a human being and the reality of Allah as your Lord? So that's very important. I like how this was, you know, all around dua, and particularly with, with Maryam, subhanAllah, you know, that she was in the rajim, as Allah mentions in those verses, that we will protect her and her offspring. And who was her son? Isa alayhi salam. So when just looking at the pattern of how Allah gives a story to the parents and telling them about something that they, that they will not didn't anticipate in the future, it's amazing. It's amazing. And SubhanAllah, it's like dua is a journey. And there are so many points, like I'm just connecting it to personally and a lot of people, like you first make the dua. And sometimes it's like, wow, it happened. So think about the wife of Imran when she made the dua and then she got pregnant. Alhamdulillah, we, you know, Allah answered, Allah is merciful and then Imran died and then she's like wait but she kept her faith in Allah and then the baby's born and it's a girl and it's not a boy so she can't dedicate the the, the girl to the temple or so she thinks right she can't uh you know I wanted a prophet that would continue the the, the way of Bani you know Bani Israel the prophet to Bani Israel and be dedicated to the masjid oh well but, but I'm going to keep my connection to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala can you imagine, subhanAllah, that Allah not only honored her with Maryam salam is not just like this, she's not a comma, you know, between the wife of Imran and Isa. Isa. This is the best woman that ever walked the face of the earth, right? I mean, named in the Quran, you know, 30 times. She's not a comma. And then Isa salam is Jesus, peace be upon him. Min ulul azmi min al-rusul, right? The, the virtues, one of the greatest messengers of Allah. There's no messenger between him and Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam. And he is a Messiah. He is the one who Allah chose to return back to the earth and to rectify the affairs after things have, after the, the, the havoc of al-Masih al-Dajjal. I mean, all of that is in her scale. And it's because she didn't disconnect at any point in the journey of her dua. Because when you make dua, you could at some point hop off. Like, all right, this was going well. But then what happened? You know, like, no, she, she stuck with the detours too. And she kept her faith in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, even as the dua seemed to be detouring and taking directions that she wasn't prepared for. SubhanAllah. Yes. Any you last know, and it's interesting that you mentioned that because, you know, sometimes uh, a lot of our du'as actually come true. And we don't even make the connection that they they have come true in that moment. It's like, I think it's a good practice, and it's something that I have been working on myself. Is I try to go back to the previous Ramadan, like what du'as have I made 
that maybe in the moment I didn't see happen, but like over the course of the year, I did see materialize. We are so, as human beings, we're so forgetful. We didn't even realize like, wow, I was really struggling with this last year. And it didn't happen right away, but within the year it happened, this played out, or, or maybe I was guided in a different direction. So even in this Ramadan, like having that reflection, and if your dad didn't happen last summer, like, continue to make that dua. Like you said, it's a journey. It's This is not like the end point, you know, there's an expiration date with each Ramadan. Continuing to make those uh, those du'as. It might be in store for you sometime soon and or, or, you know, in the years coming. But, you know, I love that comment about it being a journey. It's not just like a, you just say it and it's done. It's just a, a, it's an ongoing process. We went a little longer, but it's okay. Once you start talking about your eye, I think it, it resonates uh, yeah, in a very specific way, right? No, it's interesting how you mentioned, Shay Omar, how the detour, like she wanted a child, Allah blessed her with a child, but then it was that she wanted a child, Allah blessed her with a child, but the, the gender of the child was not what she anticipated, right? So you think when you make a dua, when you have a picture in your mind of what you want, you're making a dua and sometimes you're painting a picture in your mind and Allah knows that. You want, I don't know, the first thing, you know, you want to go to this college with these courses, with this degree, or you want to get married to this sister with this character, Allah blesses you with that that college, but it wasn't the specifics of it weren't how you anticipated it, right? The specifics of that object that you made dua for wasn't exactly how you wanted it. And that's why subhanAllah, it's important for us, again, that you know this detour that we go through, Allah will give you what you wanted, but the descriptions of that thing that you asked for may not be totally how you wanted it. And that's where, again, the choice lies. I'm glad you made that point because you may ask for a thing, but the thing in particular is not exactly how you anticipated it. And Allah knows best about the manushay of everything that you ask for. So we worship Allah on, on his terms and not on or not on ours. So that's a, a very important point in regards to uh, the response of Allah, Allah to our dua. Extremely beneficial. May Allah bless you both. May Allah bless you and, and increase you and accept your duas, all of our duas this Ramadan and make us amongst those that are forgiven. Allahumma ameen. Uh, just again, uh, please do inshallah ta'ala for the viewers. Uh, download the ebooks inshallah. Donate to Yaqeen. Tune in every night inshallah the Quran 30 for 30 to meeting Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam every day at 11 a.m. Eastern. And also check out the trauma series that was uh, written by Sister Najwa and uh, Sister uh, Sara Sultan, alhamdulillah, one of the most beneficial series we have on Yaqeen's website. And I forgot one more thing. The parables of the Quran. We covered a lot of parables in these first three chapters of the Quran. And some of you may remember we had a parable series with Dr. Uthman Omarji and soon to be Dr. Tasneem Al-Qiq. Uh, the parables were animated by our creative team very beautifully. So please do check them out, inshallah ta'ala, as well. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. The benefit of that suhbah, of that coming together to learn, is not merely the imparting of information and the receiving of information or the discussion that takes place. It's people coming together to feel that tranquility from Allah and to also feel like they can talk about Allah in a safe and a thoughtful space. And we've structured these conviction circles over the period of a semester so that these modules actually take into consideration that student's schedule. So that you feel like there's something that you're working towards every time you start a module. 
And by the end of it, you feel like you've gained some literacy in that topic. And at the same time, you've identified the, uh, the proper parameters that are given to us through the tradition as to how we should look at these issues. And you also have some mature discussion and the bonding that takes place through that mature discussion with other classmates and other students that probably have the exact same concerns and the exact same questions about our tradition. Our goal is not just to have a place for critical thinking. We also want to encourage self-reflection. This is not just some sort of intellectual playground. This is meant to be a camp for self-development because we believe at Yaqeen that conviction directly leads to contribution.